Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I'd like to add my welcome to you this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we have been exploring in the Bible, but God moments. Times we encounter that phrase, but God, and we see that things have been going in one direction, and then God acted and interceded, and it was a turning point in the story and in someone's life. But God. We've seen characters in the Bible who were unable to do things in their own power, but God enabled them to do things by his holy power. We saw Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. We saw Peter healing a crippled man. We saw Joseph mistreated at the hands of his brothers who meant to harm him, but God intending good to come from Joseph's difficult circumstances. We watched alongside with Noah and his family as God cleansed the earth with water and in a a sense started from scratch with a recreation of the earth. And we're told that the earth was cleansed, but God remembered Noah and his family. We recognized our lostness and sin and found ourselves to be without hope. But God showed his great love for us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, that we might be saved. And then last week, we saw that sometimes we think we know the right answer, or sometimes we look at someone from the outside and make a judgment, but God examines hearts. So I'd like to thank Pastor Chris and Pastor Allie for sharing in the teaching over this sermon series and for what they brought to us. This week, we will return to the book of Genesis. We've already traveled with Joseph and with Noah And we'll encounter a story that's full of plot twists and turning points and more than one but God moment. We'll discover someone who's at the absolute end of her rope and has nowhere to turn until she finds a God who listens and who acts on her behalf. So as we prepare to look at Genesis chapter 21 this morning, we need to set the scene a bit. Genesis 21 opens with Uh, the story or an encounter with Sarah and Abraham, who originally were called Sarai and Abram. We'll get to that in a few minutes. And we see that this, this couple finds themselves on the receiving end of an incredible promise from God. Abraham and Sarah have been told by God that God would start with these two people and turn them into a great and mighty nation who would be called by God's name, would be God's special possession and inheritance. Abraham earlier had been told to leave his household and and journey to a land that God said, I will show you. He didn't know ahead of time where he was was going. At this point in the story, Abraham and Sarah find themselves in the land of Canaan. And they were pondering that amazing promise from God. And they were getting older and older. And this promise of a son to begin this new nation didn't seem to be coming to fruition. It wasn't happening. No son. And so we see that as this promise got harder and harder to believe, in Genesis 16, Abram and Sarah 
hatched a plan. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son he had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So that's chapter 16, and then if we were to continue through Genesis chapters 17 through 20, we'd see the story unfold. We'd see in that story that God does some renaming. He renames Abram, Abraham. He renames Sarai, Sarah. Both of those new names having to do with this promise of becoming a powerful nation through the birth of a son. Sarah meaning princess, and Abraham meaning father of many. We see that God comes to Abraham and Sarah, and as he renames them, as he renames them, reiterates this promise. He says, I'm going to make good on this. You will have a son. But as the story goes on, we see that Abraham and Sarah keep getting older. But then finally, we pick up the story in Genesis 21 and read, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, which is what the name Isaac means. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who should have said that to Abraham and Sarah, who has said to Abraham and Sarah that she would nurse children, and yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking and she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. 
The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son, meaning Ishmael. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. But God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God said, called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. When he, while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Now, if we read these accounts from Genesis 16 and Genesis 21 back to back, these stories of Hagar being sent out into the desert, we see a lot of parallels. We see that in both stories, Sarah and Hagar are at odds. Hagar's kicked out of the household, sent to wander in the desert. In both stories, Hagar encounters the angel of God in a personal encounter and is given words of comfort and of promise. And so as readers, we're supposed to notice these parallels. We're supposed to see things cropping up in both of these stories. One Bible commentator notes that the similarities between these two chapters can hardly escape the attention of even the most casual reader. And so we need to ask, well, what are we supposed to notice here in these stories? Well, I think what's being uh, emphasized here as these accounts are being repeated is that God can be relied on, that God is faithful. We can be assured, we can be certain, even when we find ourselves in our own desert places. We can be convinced that God is reliable even if God is not always predictable. This is part of the character of God that we see again and again through the Bible. We can rely on God, but we don't always know what God might be up to next. God's otherness is one of the central themes of Scripture. Again and again, if we read the Bible, we see people who, who make the assumption that God, God must be kind of like them. God must think like they do. God must act like they do. And when they think like that, they find themselves getting into trouble because God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God is other and holy and righteous and perfect. Again and again in Scripture, we see people underestimating the power of God, the holiness of God, underestimating God's demands, but also God's love and grace and mercy. The Bible brings us face to face with the reliability 
and the trustworthiness of God. And if we read the stories, we'll see that one thing we can count on God to do is actually to be unpredictable. This is the reason we've subtitled our sermon series, Expect the Unexpected. We worship and follow a mighty and holy God who is other than we are. This passage from Genesis 21 alone presents us with, with surprises and plot twists and more than one but God moment. We see this festive occasion of Isaac's coming of age party and we see it turn sour when Sarah notices that this older stepbrother, Ishmael, is poking fun. He's mocking this young boy. And so she wants Ishmael and his mom out of there. We're told that the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son Ishmael. And God said to him, don't be distressed about the boy. Listen to what Sarah tells you because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. But I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. Now, this might seem a bit surprising, actually. We might expect God to encourage Abraham to to stick up for his son, to not give in to Sarah's tirade and say, come on, we can, we can work this out. But God says, listen to Sarah. Don't worry about it. I've got this. I've got you. God knows the bigger picture. In fact, God is painting a bigger picture, and he's letting Abraham in on what's going on. He gives Abraham some perspective. He says, Abraham, this isn't about one spoiled party. This isn't about one night. There's more going on here than you realize. This is about my goodness, about my mercy, about my provision, and my good plans for Hagar and Ishmael. And then after Hagar and Ishmael have been banished, they run out of water in the desert and basically give themselves up for dead. Now, various translations of the Bible at this point, either have Hagar and Ishmael breaking out in, into tears or the boy alone sobbing. But either way, it's a setup for another but God moment. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand. I will make him into a great nation. So here's Ishmael. Here's Ishmael, who is this person who is literally flesh and bone evidence of someone's disobedience and doubt. Ishmael, in a way, was never even meant to exist. He only existed because Sarah, in her doubting, decided to try to fast forward God's plan and come up with her own way to achieve what she felt was promised to her, but she wasn't getting on her timetable. And so in this moment, when Sarah found herself face-to-face with this, uh, the promised son, Isaac, but also this one that really wasn't supposed to be there, she cast him out, cast him and his mother out into the desert. She wanted to focus on Isaac and ignore Ishmael, but God had other plans, We see that God did not kick Ishmael out of his promises, did not exclude him from his goodness and mercy, even though Ishmael was the direct result of doubt 
and disobedience. And I want to make sure we don't miss that. Ishmael was not excluded from the goodness, mercy, and promises of God, even though he only existed because of doubt and disobedience. In fact, the promises to to both Hagar and Sarah and Abraham are remarkably similar. The promises about these sons and what will happen, we're told they both will become great and mighty nations. In fact, God told Hagar that Ishmael would have 12 sons, 12 sons parallel to the 12 sons of Isaac's son, Jacob. And the families of these sons of Ishmael would go on to be a mighty nation of their own. They would go on to uh, form a nation that would become the Arab tribes, who would be the very first Muslims. God took the son of this outcast slave woman and blessed him with a nation. And I don't think Sarah or Abraham saw that coming. And it may puzzle us too as we read it. Why would God do that? Especially when he knew, we believe, what would happen between these two nations and all the strife and fighting and problems that would arise. The Apostle Paul reminds us that God is a God who surprises us, and that in keeping with his character, God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So Paul reminds the Corinthians, he reminds us that in God's economy, things aren't always logical. In God's economy, things that are small might become incredibly significant. Things that seem huge to us might become completely irrelevant. Because God isn't like us. God doesn't need to start with, with good starting material in order for something great to happen. God can take whatever God chooses to make something truly beautiful. In fact, if we read the story of Scripture, it seems again and again that God actually seems to relish that activity. God seems to relish taking the things that are overlooked, even despised, and doing something wonderful with them, doing something truly beautiful when no one saw it coming. God is a God of redemption. And we get a sense in the story of Scripture that the, the bigger the transformation, the greater the redemption the more he gets the glory and the more joy it brings God. And Paul concludes this passage by quoting Jeremiah 9, 24. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul says, if we go on, if we go on to boast about ourselves, we've missed the point completely. Paul teaches, boast in the one who takes your smallness your weakness, your frailty, and actually does something beautiful and great with it. 
Paul seems to practice what he preaches because he writes in 2 Corinthians 11.30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul understands the weaker we acknowledge we are, the more weakness we show, the more clearly we can point to the true power and grace of God. And it seems that Hagar understood this as well. In Genesis 16, she actually becomes the first person recorded in Scripture to to make up a name for God, to give her own, own name to God based on her experience of God, based on a personal encounter with God. After the angel of the Lord met her in the desert the first time she had been cast out from Sarah's household, the angel revealed to her that she was pregnant and would have a son and that she should name him Ishmael, which means God hears. And in Genesis 16, 13, we read that thereafter Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are Elroy, the God who sees me. Hagar boasted in the Lord. Hagar's boast wasn't, hey, look at me. I'm something special. Her boast was, I have been seen. There is a God who sees me, who hears me, who knows me, who rescues me and answers me. She boasted in the God who heard her cry, who told her to name her son Ishmael. God hears so that she and her son would never, ever forget that story, that encounter in the desert. She boasted in God who was completely reliable and yet utterly unpredictable. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up at this time as we transition to a time of reflection Maybe now or maybe at some point, either in the near past or near future, we're going to find ourselves in in desert places. And so this morning, I'd like us to spend some time in reflection and prayer. And I invite you to hear an invitation in this story from Genesis to call out to God, to cry out to God. Maybe things don't seem as desperate as it did for Hagar in that moment in your life right now, but we trust and believe that we follow a God who hears us, a God who sees us. We can call out to Elroy, the God who sees us, the God who sees me. So I invite you to take a few moments and call out to God in your own way this morning. Where do you crave and long to be seen in your life today? Where do you need God to hear you, to answer, to rescue, to respond, to provide? I'll close this in just a few minutes.
If we look at God's Word, if we study the Bible and read through it, we find ourselves encountering episode after episode that should encourage us that we follow a God who sees us and hears us and acts out of God's love for us. We should trust more and more that the but God moments can still happen because of who God is. And so we should be watching for those but God moments waiting for them, anticipating, asking for them, asking God to act on our behalf. And as we find God moving in our lives, we should be ready. Ready to find ourselves at times completely shocked by what happens and utterly transformed. Please join me in prayer. Loving gracious, mysterious, trustworthy God. We praise you today as the God who hears us, the God who sees us, the God who loves and rescues us. Father, through your son Jesus, you have rescued us and given us an inheritance beyond our wildest imagining. You've given us a new name, beloved children united in Christ. You've not withheld any good thing from us, you have blessed us. And God, you've also called us to boast only in you, to point others to you and to your love and your grace. God, we acknowledge that your ways are so far above our ways, your thoughts so beyond our thoughts. And so would you remind us daily who you are and who we are? And would you move our hearts to awe, to worship, to faithfulness, and to renewed joy and courage. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.